<laughs> Man, thank you so much, Josh, Kirsten, Blake. Man, there's just few things that can bring your mind and emotion to that place than worshiping together. So good. So have you guys ever learned what the Bible's definition of the church is? And if so, how often do you think about how does the Bible define church? Is it a building that people go to once a week? No. If you don't know, the Bible defines church as a community of individuals that believe in the God of the Bible. Therefore, Rimrock Downtown is a community of individuals that believe in the God of the Bible. And something that the Bible says over and over is that churches should be praying for one another. And so each week, we're going to have a family come up, and we're going to pray for them. And then on our weekly emails, you'll see a picture of that family to remind you to pray for them. It's what we must do as a community. So tonight's the Shankles. Come on up. Paul, Jana, Jack, Mia. It's also a chance for us to get to know one another a little bit better. How long have you guys been married? 27 years. 27 years. Jack, yeah. You're what, 15? Mia, 17? Yeah. And you guys own a business, DNM, ag, right? You help outfit um, agriculture, right? Ranchers around this area. So what we want to do right now, you know, is just pray for them, for their relationship with one, bond them together as a family. Just continue to pour your goodness out upon them. We ask you because you are the creator of everything and you tell us to boldly come before you, God. So make it happen. Amen. Thanks, guys. So each week, I'll either be hounding down some random family, like I did with them via text, or if you have a desire to be prayed over, just let me know. Let Derek know. This is something that's going to become a regular part of Rimrock Downtown's weekly gatherings, because there's power in prayer. All right. So if you don't know me, my name's Evan, and a goal of mine, a mission of mine, is to bring you guys deeper into the Bible. You guys ready to engage your brains? I hope so. So we'll start with a little bit of a story that'll maybe be kind of a slight intro for you guys. I have a good friend uh, that used to, be, used to work at a summer camp in North Carolina, the type of camp that has three to 400 kids every single week. And one of his seasons, he was uh, on like the maintenance crew. And he told me a story that at one point they were sitting in their work cart and he saw a bunch of tools leaning against the side of a building where they should not be. And he thought to himself, man, when are they going to take care of those? And he drove away, saw him again that afternoon, same thought came to his mind. Man, when are they going to take care of those? They're not supposed to be there. Multiple days went by and he said the same thing. And then something dawned on him. We are they. We are the individuals that have the ability to take care of this problem. Why don't I just do it? You know, it seems to be a very common understanding for people that we see the problems that are all around us and we want to see them solved, but we're always wondering, when are they going to take care of it? When is the mission going to really help the homeless? When will somebody reach out to those punk kids in the park and show them a better way to live? When will somebody tell my neighbor, who is always putting beer bottles in his recycling bin, that alcohol is a big part of his problem? When, when will somebody spend time with that crotchety old lady down the street that is always sitting alone? 
You know, we see all the problems that surround us and we want to see them fixed, but we instinctively assume that it will be they that will handle it. But the reality is, we are they. Tonight we're going to be starting a new series through which we'll study the first seven chapters of Acts. There's stories about the beginning of the early church. As we read and think through these accounts, my hope is that you'll be thinking through the lens that we are they. That we have the same qualifications that they have. That Peter and John and Stephen had. Think about it. We were created by the almighty maker of everything. He put breath into our lungs and continually gives us day after day what we need. He also has given us specific abilities that allow us to function really well in certain ways, do certain things. Even more so, we believe that Jesus is God, that he came to earth in order to free man from the bondage to sin and death. Because of all of this, we are just like the men and the women of the early church, people made to bring God's kingdom to our worlds. Tonight, specifically, I want you to walk away seeing that we have been given an incredible opportunity to be a part of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with him, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is walking around with Jesus, seeing him do incredible things and hearing them tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand. Then they watched him be brutally beaten and killed. For what had to have been the hardest two and a half, day, two and a half days of their lives, they got to, after what had to have been the hardest two and a half days of their life, they got to see the living and breathing Jesus face to face. He encouraged them, letting them know that good things lie ahead. In thinking through this lens, it makes sense why the disciples in Acts 1-6 asked Jesus, if now is the time for you to restore the kingdom of God. You know, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the Messiah, the one sent by God to redeem his people from the bondage of this world. And they also saw that he had power over everything, including death. Why would they not now think that what they had read and been taught about in Micah 4, 1 through 4, was coming true? Let's look at that. I'll show you what it's all about. Or I'll find it and read it. Yeah. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest mountains, and they shall be raised up upon the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many people and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. Hear this. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. You know, I'm sure the disciples saw everything coming together. 
Jesus, having defeated darkness, now enthroned forever, having total authority, he would then bring his people into paradise, a place without war, a place without hunger, right? A spot where nations would flock into Israel because of what was there. But in verse 7 of Acts, Jesus tells them, this is not what they should expect. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Now, he doesn't deny that God will someday come back and make it happen, but he plainly tells them that it's not up to them to know or to even decide when the kingdom of God will be firmly established on earth. Then Jesus hovers away off of earth until he's hidden by clouds. Imagine what that would have felt like. God himself just told you that what you hoped was happening is not going to happen. You were so set that this was all going to be coming true and that you'd be in the middle of paradise. And then Jesus looks you in the eye and says, nope. And then he's literally carried away by the wind. Right? Fortunately for these men, God sends a couple messengers to tell Jesus, tell them that Jesus will someday come back and do all that he says he will do. Verse 11, this Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. But man, this still had to have been a major shocker for the disciples, realizing they were in the middle of what some theologians refer to as the age of tension. This is a time between Jesus' comings. Sin and death have been defeated, but yet not fully conquered. Even though Jesus paid the penalty for mankind's wickedness, mankind will still have to suffer the consequences of their foolishness. Josh, if you wouldn't mind putting up that like middle school style slide. So here's an idea of that age of tension, right? The apple is the beginning, the kingdom of Satan influencing, and the church age starting with the cross and ending with Jesus' return. Now, obviously, this is the same is true for us. Even though Jesus has redeemed our souls and we are children of the Most High, pain and death are still a part of our daily lives. We are living in the age of tension, a time where we have the goodness of God continually pouring into us. See those small arrows? But we are daily face-to-face -face with the evil of this world. And the past three months have proved this beyond obvious. We do not live in a perfect world. In this era... In the age of tension, there are two things that are really important to constantly bring our minds back to. The first, this too shall pass. There is a day when Jesus will return, and darkness will be obliterated. This is what the two men dressed in white told the disciples in verse 11. Jesus will come back. And based on what we read in Revelation, 1 Thessalonians, other spots, this will be a really good day. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, just to show you that this is Bible. For the Lord himself, with a, cry of, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpets, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Man, like Paul just said, it's so important to constantly be reminded of this because of the hope for better things can help carry us through the darkest nights. Because we still live and operate in a broken world, we are guaranteed to suffer in this life. But knowing that at some point, all this pain and sorrow will be fully removed forever, 
can give one's mind and emotions the ability to push through the temporary. But we also must remember that we were not saved to simply sit back and enjoy our redemption. I love what those two men say in verse 11. It's comical to me. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? Right? Jesus is like leaving. The men are staring up. And then these two angels appear and be like, what are you guys looking at? Come on. You got work to do. Right? Put that, if you wouldn't mind, put that uh, slide back up for the age of tension. You see those smaller arrows coming down? That's this idea of influence. So you have influence from the kingdom of Satan and you have influence from the kingdom of God. And notice after the cross how those arrows from the kingdom of God increase. This is because of the role of the disciples. What we are called to do by Jesus to engage in the battle against darkness. Now we see him say this in Acts 1 verses 7 and 8. He says, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his authority. But, this idea of but, but there's something for you to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples that they're not going to be free yet from the pain of the evil of this world. But that they have a job to do while they wait. Instead of simply sitting back and enjoying the benefits of redemption, which are so many, and waiting for eternity, which will happen, they are called to engage with the world that is around them. Specifically, Jesus tells them that once they receive the Spirit, they are to be his witnesses to their town, to their region, and even to the ends of the earth. Now, the word witness in Greek is simply one who provides testimony. Now, this can be done in two ways, word and action. And I love words. Words are one of the most powerful tools that we have. Through words, we have the ability to love, to encourage, and to even inspire. I think that is why Jesus tells his disciples to be his witnesses. He wants them to share the truths that he has shown them to the world around them, so that way other people can experience his goodness. Now, I know for most of us, this feeling, the feeling of this call to evangelize, it's a bit intimidating, isn't it? Right? Public speaking is one of the greatest fears among all people. Very few of us have that internal drive and desire to stand on street corners and share the gospel, right? We're not Billy Grahams. Right? We are not John Pipers. But each of us has a story. Times when the God of the Bible stepped into our days and made our lives better. Some of our stories are about desperate times when everything should have fallen apart, but because of God, they didn't. You know, in the last year, I heard from a person who calls Rimrock Downtown home a story about how God stepped into his life. His wife had left him like a month ago. Out of the blue, he became physically disabled where he was unable to get out of bed. He had no clue why it was happening. In the midst of this terrible spot, God changed his perception. He showed him that no matter what happens, God can be trusted, that God's will will be established. From this vantage point, I saw everything change in this man's countenance. From a weeping mess who was limping around the coffee shop, he was now a confident and wise man, one who clearly trusted in God. What's incredible, in the end, he and his wife stayed married. 
out of his experience, he now knows that God is in complete control and he can be trusted. You know, other stories that we have are about small and somewhat simple ways that God gently brought his goodness into our lives. This past winter, as a church, we got to watch a video of a woman sharing her thoughts on the goodness of God. And in part of her story, she told about how in recent days, God was speaking to her through the natural world. When she was willing to stop and reflect on it, she was able to see how much God loved her and was showing her his love through the beauty of nature. You know, through our experiences with God, we have stories to share about him. Whether the stories are dramatic and over the top or simple everyday style experiences, we all have ways to be Jesus' witnesses, to provide testimony of who he is and what he brings. And, and the beauty of stories is that it, it ha you have the ability to relate and connect with people who are listening. For me, the story of my friend's change of perspective showed me that God can use every circumstance, no matter how hard, to bring his goodness into a person's life. The story about nature speaking of God's love reminded me that I operate in the same way, and God speaks to me through nature, so therefore I need to get outside more. And the best thing about your story is that no one can argue with you about it. If you're telling the truth, your story is simply that, your story. It's not your philosophical stance or your theological interpretation. It is a black and white experience that you had. I hope you get that. You know, the other way that we can be witnesses to Jesus and what he brings is through our actions. Like I mentioned, words are powerful, but we know the old adage. Right? Actions often speak louder than words. We get this in 1 John 3 as well. Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. You know, the choices that we make, more specifically what we choose to make our priorities, have the ability to be major testimonies of how good Jesus must be. Let me give you some more examples. This winter and spring, two different downtowners showed the world that God was their priority through their jobs. One felt like God wanted her to quit her job in order to spend more time with her family. After she did, her husband told me that she seems like an entirely different person, so full of life. For another, due to the coronavirus, he was fired. He ended up taking a part-time job that provided far less pay, but one that he felt like God wanted him to take. After about two months of working that part-time job, his old job was offered back to him. Because he felt like God was calling him to decline, he willingly stepped away from more pay. You know, another downtowner has been volunteering at Meals for Wheels every week for years and years. He, he removes his really busy schedule so that way he can spend time with people that cannot leave their homes, that he can bring them meals. Last example. As I was sitting in Jimmy John's drive-thru years ago, I saw another downtowner walk up to a man at Walmart who was holding a sign asking for money and give him some. Ended up catching up with that gentleman later, and he said that he felt like God told him to go up to him and not only give him money, but to tell him about Jesus, so he did. When we are willing to make God and his design for living our priority, our actions can share with those around us what we have discovered about Jesus. From the stories I just told, I have learned that Jesus is worth trusting, that he is worth trusting more than our view of how we think our life should be. He's worth trusting over money, Right, over the fact that we have purpose in our jobs. 
I also see that we are called to love people consistently, to those who have been pushed to the margin of society, that we should give away our time, our money, our resources in order to continually pour into people that are in need. You know, through our words and actions, we can live out what Jesus called his followers to do, to be his witnesses. By doing this, we are engaging in the battle against the kingdom of darkness. We are bringing God's kingdom, his goodness, into our worlds. You know, as I wrap it up, I want to leave you with a phrase. I don't know if you guys have seen the billboards around town that are advertising Montana's beauty. There's a single phrase across it. Discover the moment. This phrase has stuck with me for weeks. And as I've been studying through the first 11 verses of chapter 1 of Acts, they directly connect to this as well. Let's start big picture. As a church, Rimrock downtown, we have been brought together in 2020 with our specific talents and passions in the heart of Rapid City. As we will see throughout this study of Acts, the church, a community of believers, can be an extremely powerful tool to bring God's kingdom into a skewed and selfish culture. If you feel like God wants you to be a part of Rimrock Downtown, it should be far more than just attending once a month. If this is a community that God has called you to for this time, then discover the moment. Truly engage with the people in this community. Go to a small group. Be a part of one of the serving opportunities. Come to the night in the square. Right? Just these different opportunities to engage with these people. And even better, create your own and invite people from this church to be a part of it. When a person engages with a group of other people, so many good things come into their lives. By investing in a church, you can find support when things are hard and encouragement to live the way that God designed you to live. You can also be empowered by the strength and idea of, of others to accomplish far more than you could do on your own. To be such a so much more of an effective witness for Jesus. You know, over the months to come, you will see Rimrock Downtown operating in different ways. Ways that strongly promote the idea that we are the church. And that each individual within this community brings such an important piece to the power of this church. You know, but regardless of your view on Rimrock Downtown, if nothing else this week, strive to discover the moment in your personal world with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. Every single time you interact with somebody, it is a chance to live out your call as a follower of Jesus. You know, it may be through sharing one of your stories with your kids or your boss, or it might be selflessly loving your neighbor by mowing their lawn or helping a coworker finish their work on a late Friday afternoon. You have been made to live and operate in this place and time. God has specific plans for you to be his witness to those around you, to bring his kingdom into your world. If and when you take the time to ask God to use you, then you will be able to discover your moment. Pray with me. Let's do that right now. God, we just openly declare that you created us and that you have plans for us. Therefore, we ask you to show us what those plans are. 
to reveal your truths to us of how you would like us to live. Bring thoughts into our minds that can direct us. Bring people into our lives and give us the power to love on them well. God, we want to be your witnesses. We want to be used by you to bring your kingdom into this world. So we ask right now that you would do that. We give you our minds. We give you our lives. So that way you may be glorified. Amen.